Um, this year at Good Shepherd, we want to celebrate God's restoration. We want to celebrate a thousand stories of God's restoration between now and the end of next August. A thousand stories of God's restoration. Because through the past year and a half, we have all experienced both difficulty and great division. But we believe that God is in the business of restoring and repairing and renovating and rebuilding. Am I right? Well, the world ruptures and rips apart, God repairs and restores. Amen? Boy, you haven't gotten any more boisterous since I've been gone. <laughs> While the world rips apart and ruptures, God repairs and restores. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So, so over the next 12 months, we want to share these stories. Stories of how God is bringing restoration in your journey with him. Restoration and rebuilding a relationship between yourself and someone else. How God is repairing any brokenness that we see in the world. So um, we know that a, a Christ-centered life moves in those three directions. Up with God and worship, into community with one another, and out to the world in mission. Um, so think about restoration in your life. I want to, not only for you to uncover those stories, but we want to hear them. Um, I'm convinced there are countless of those stories of God's restoration because God is at work if only our eyes are open to them, if only our ears are willing to hear them. And you don't have to be a general contractor or even watch HGTV to know that bringing about restoration or repair requires a strong foundation. Think about it. There is no use installing pristine marble countertops in a kitchen that's descending into a sinkhole, right? So we're kicking off this year thinking about restoration in a series we're calling Foundational. Um, what is the foundation of life with Jesus? And so we're beginning this series this morning in Paul's letter to the gospel, excuse me, Paul's letter to the Galatians, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. So uh, grab your Bible, open it with me. If you don't have a Bible, we have um, some brand new large print Imitation leather-bound Bibles we'd be honored to give you as a gift. Um, please let us know. We'd be honored to, to give you one of those so you can read and follow along. Now, hear God's word to us. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, and all those with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, that is how you start a letter, am I right? Imagine logging into your email inbox and clicking on a message to find phrases like that. But here's where it gets interesting. Just five verses into Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, we would expect to find an opening prayer or praise. We would expect to see a thanksgiving or some sort of commendation. Some sort of wonderful way that they've partnered together in the gospel. That's how letters are supposed to start. My second grade daughter is learning how to write letters in school right now. You start by saying something nice, right? It's not how a lot of our emails start, but that's how they're supposed to start. She's really good at writing letters that start with something nice, and St. Paul is too. Like to the Ephesians, he says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus 
and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Oh, the Ephesians. Or, or the Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. I'm confident, he says, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Somebody should write a song with those words. So good. <laughs> Even to the Colossians, he says, we've heard about your faith in Jesus, the love you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in heaven. Oh, the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians Five verses in, and we are prepared for Paul to offer prayer or praise, thanksgiving or commendation, but we don't get it. Quite the opposite, actually. You see, the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians had remained on that strong foundation. But for the Galatians, the bottom had dropped out. It was sinkhole city. Paul continues, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one preached to you, let them be eternally condemned." As we've already said and now say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. We're good. It, it's an old one. Thank you. Hear, hear those words that Paul writes to the Galatian church. All God's people would say, whoa. I mean... The vast majority of those gathered in worship this morning to hear this letter from him would not be reading it, but they would have been gathered. And we've got a letter from Paul, our founding pastor. Let's hear what he has to say. Never mind the Ephesians' love for God's people. Forget the Philippians' partnership in the gospel. Disregard the Colossians' faith and love that spring from hope stored in heaven. No, what Paul says to the, Galatian, to the Galatians is completely different. The opening of Paul's letter to the Galatians sounds more like a teenager's conversation with their parents after sneaking out of a window after curfew the night before. Anybody ever had a conversation like that with their parents? I'm looking at you, Ken Kood. I bet you did. It begs the question, what is going on in Galatia? Now, the Apostle Paul founded the church in Galatia around 48 AD. It was during his first missionary journey. We read about that in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Historians believe he followed up with this letter about a year or two later. Now, in Presbyterian circles, when a pastor moves on, when God calls them into another congregation, another opportunity for serving his church, there's a kind of unwritten rule. That pastor is not to return to his former congregation for at least a year, maybe Two, that allows God to raise up new leaders in that congregation, right? Imagine how disruptive it would be if a former pastor re-engaged Good Shepherd after having moved on. Imagine what that would have been like for little old me if Jim Wilson came back <laughs> and told me how deeply I'd led this church into heresy. How terrible that would be if Ron Oglesby had come back, if Virgil Zerbel, the founding pastor, had come back and shaken his finger at this congregation. <laughs> Can you imagine how disruptive, how damaging, how difficult 
And that's exactly what Paul's doing. That's exactly what he's doing. You heard the words, let them be condemned if they would tell you a different gospel. He's not concerned about the feelings of the staff. He's not concerned about upsetting the session. He doesn't care about the presbytery. He feels totally justified. He has no time for pleasantries like with the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians. No, Paul has no time for thanksgiving or commendations. He says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. That phrase, so quickly deserting, is the Greek word metatithemai. It's probably been a little while. Let me hear you say metatithemai. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. Sue just shook her head. Nope, not trying it. <laughs> metatithemai means to transfer one's allegiance. Metatithemai was used for soldiers who deserted their post, who revolted against their own country. Metatithemai, they are turncoats, they're flip-floppers, not quite the accusation you'd like to hear from the person who introduced you to Jesus. Paul's language is inspired by Exodus 32, that passage we read just a few moments ago, where Moses takes too long on Mount Sinai, and the people take off their earrings, and they melt it down, and they fashion it into a calf, and they bow down to it. Those kinds of things continued on in the first century as well. There were idols all over the place. Remember when Paul goes to Athens and he says the city was filled with idols. It wasn't so much a, a city as much as it was just a place of worship. Idols everywhere. There was Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty, and Ares, the, goddess, the god of war. Artemis, the goddess of wealth. Hephaestus, the god of craftsmanship. There were these gods and goddesses, these idols all over the ancient world. And it begs the question whether our culture is so different from theirs. What's most interesting to me, though, is how Paul talks about the gospel. Now, remember, we know the gospel meaning a particular thing, but in the first century, gospel was a political pronouncement. It was a pronouncement that an heir had been born to the throne, that a rival people had been defeated, that a battle had been won, and a land had been captured. And so Caesar would send out a pronouncement. He would send out a gospel. Good news! I've got a baby just born to me who will one day be on the throne. Good news, we've captured a new land. Good news, we've won the battle. The gospel was a political pronouncement. The Galatians knew this word well. You see, they had been the subjects of a gospel pronouncement. In 25 BC, Galatia became a Roman province. Caesar said, this land was your land. This land is my land. <laughs> See, and that was a gospel. That was a good news. As long as you're Caesar, as long as you're on Caesar's side, our land has increased. Our wealth is growing. But the earliest, gospel, the earliest Christians repurposed that word gospel, didn't they? Instead of an heir being born to Caesar, instead of Caesar winning battles and defeating people and capturing land, the earliest Christians used the word gospel not to talk about King Caesar, but about King Jesus. Anybody with me? Come on. The, the earliest Christians weren't so worried about King Caesar. They were really excited about King Jesus. And so they took this word, gospel. They said, no, 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 the true gospel, the true good news was Jesus' birth. The true gospel, the true good news was that Jesus won the battle against sin. That God's kingdom is now at hand. That Jesus frees us like God's people being liberated from Egypt. This Jesus, as Paul writes, this Jesus has rescued us 
from the evil present age. Imagine, Paul thought the age 2,000 years ago was an evil present age. It hasn't changed, has it? And yet the gospel remains the same, that King Jesus frees us. That's the gospel, the true good news. That is the foundation for a life of faith with Jesus. And that is the foundation for a life that sees God's restoration. Maybe you've heard that story about the storm that came into town and local officials sent out an emergency warning that the riverbanks would overflow. So we needed to evacuate everyone in the town immediately. There was a very religious man in the town and he heard the warning, but he decided to stay. And he said to himself, I'll trust God. And if I'm in danger, then God will save me. Anybody heard this one before? It's probably not a true story, but it's a good one. The neighbors came by his house and they said, we're leaving. There's room for you. Get in the car. Let's go. He said, no, God's going to save me. He stood on his porch, and the water rose up the steps, and a man in a canoe paddled by. Hey, man, I've got room. Hop in. Let's go. No, thank you. God will save me. The floodwaters rose higher, pouring into his living room window, so he went up to the second floor. A police motorboat came by. We can rescue you, they shouted through the megaphone. Use your time to save someone else. I have a God who will save me. The floodwaters rose higher and higher, and the man had to climb up on his rooftop. A helicopter spotted him, dropped down a rope ladder. Rescue officer came down the ladder. Please grab my hand. I will pull you up to safety. But still the man refused, folding his arms. No, thank you. God will save me. And when he arrived in heaven, (laughs) the man stood before God and he asked, I put all my faith in you. Why didn't you come and save me? And God said, I sent you a warning and a car and a canoe and a motorboat and a helicopter. What more were you looking for? (laughs) Here's the point. The gospel tells us that we are that man. That the floodwaters of sin and shame rise up in all of our lives and they will drown us. The gospel tells us that we are that man and that left to our own devices, we will continue to say, no, 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 no. I got it. I got it. I got it. We'll be fine. The gospel tells us that God has sent the rescuer and that his rescue was not that car or canoe, that motorboat or helicopter. God has sent the rescuer and his name is Jesus. This gospel is that Jesus came to be with us, that Jesus won the battle against sin, that Jesus frees us, that Jesus rescues us from this present evil age. Anybody with me? The Galatians were so quickly deserting, turning away from, revolting against the one who called them, and turning to a different gospel. Do we do the same thing? You see, they had taken off their earrings and melted them down and crafted a gospel more to their liking. Notice what happens, though. Paul does not question their salvation, but he speaks into their current situation. He says, listen, you guys are up on the rooftop." Grab the rope from the helicopter above you. You're ignoring the rescue that's come your way. They were instead trusting in themselves. And as we'll see through this fall, they were using very religious language to do so. Very religious language to be self-sufficient. They had trusted themselves. You see, the gospel that saved them was no longer sanctifying them. The gospel that had liberated them was no longer leading them. And notice Paul's implication. He says, turning away from the gospel is turning away from God. No matter what religious language you use, you're standing on the rooftop with your arms folded. 
Now, if I were writing a letter to the church in Galatia, which is a really funny way to start a sentence, um, I would have written something very different. See, if I were writing to the church, I would say something very different. I'm most worried about things that are bad, about things that are wrong, and things that are evil. And that may be true of a lot of us, I think. Um, think about uh, what we see in op-ed columns of the newspaper. Think about what you see on your television evening news, whatever channel it is you watch. Um, think about what you see in your social media feeds. I think most of us and most of the messages we receive are most concerned about damaging and depraved and dangerous, aren't they? We're worried about the bad things, the evil things, the wrong things. But notice, what Paul is most worried about for the life of the Galatian church are the good things. He's concerned that they have turned toward what they consider good, another different good news. There's a lot of good news in the world. Maybe it's a recovering economy. Good news, would you agree? Good news. Maybe it's a politician's election. That can be good news, right? Maybe it's, hold on, we're getting there. Maybe, maybe it's a recall. That could be good news. For some of us, I see your Facebook feeds. I know what you think. You see, you see, we have a way of defining good news, don't we? We have a way of looking toward a particular good news, don't we? Paul isn't worried about bad things. He's actually more worried about good things. He's worried about the things that distract us from the goodness of God, that distract us from the good news of the gospel. And we come up with our own good news, and it's a way of standing on the roof with our arms folded. Like the Israelites rescued from Egypt, but bowing down to idols, the Galatians were redeemed by the gospel, but were not remaining in the gospel. Let me say that again. I'm kind of proud of that line. <laughs> the Galatians had been redeemed by the gospel, but they were not remaining in the gospel. See, one of the great enemies of the Christian life is not our tendency to bad things or evil things, to wrong things. One of the greatest problems in our Christian life is distraction by good things. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not downplaying the reality of sin, but even sin, right, when we recognize it for what it is, what does it do? It draws us deeper into our journey with God through our confession and forgiveness and restoration. Amen? When we rightly understand sin, God uses it to draw us deeper. But good things distract us from God entirely. We get distracted by these good things. The scripture calls these things idols. They're like the golden calf the Israelites fashioned out of their melted down earrings. Like Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. Ares, the god of war. Artemis, the goddess of wealth. Hephaestus, the god of craftsmanship. We too live in a culture filled with so many good things. Pastor Tim Keller writes that our modern culture isn't all that different from ancient cultures. We still have our shrines that we bow down to, don't we? We still have our shrines, office towers and spas and gyms, studios and stadiums. All of these are good things. While we don't physically bow down to the statue of Aphrodite, our culture may drive us to an unhealthy body image, unattainable standards of beauty. Maybe we don't burn incense to Artemis, and I hope you don't, but we can neglect family and community to work harder to achieve greater success and wealth and privilege. I hope we don't pray to the God of Ares, the God of war and power and military might. 
but how excited can we get for one political candidate over another? And that's not wrong, but has it reshaped our understanding of what's good? John Calvin once put it this way. He said, the human heart is a factory of idols. The human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us from their mother's womb is an expert in inventing idols. See, an idol is a good thing raised to the level of an ultimate thing. It can become another gospel, another good news. We are experts at finding such things. But any other gospel is no gospel at all. Gospel revision is gospel reversal. So friends, to live a Christ-centered life, a life centered on the goodness and the good news of this Jesus, may we ask ourselves, what gospel, what good news is driving our life? Because like the Galatians, we must remain in the gospel that's redeemed us. Amen? We must remain in the gospel that's redeemed us. We must be sanctified by the gospel that saved us. We must be led by the gospel that's liberated us every day. Every day. If we want to live a life seeing God's restoration, we must continue to stand on the foundation that we are those who need rescue. And we still do. And the rescuer has come. May we no longer remain on the rooftop with our arms folded for a different good news. May we recognize the rescue and daily recommit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not the good news of anything else. See, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not just the thing that we teach our kids in their classrooms and then they move on from the gospel somehow to larger theological concepts. The gospel is not the ABCs. It's the A to Zs. It's the whole thing. What's the gospel or, or the good news that drives your life today? Here are some ways to think about it. What brings you great happiness, but if it were taken away, it would be devastating? I'll give you an example. Um, the San Francisco Giants were expected to have a losing year. <laughs> Nobody saw it coming, and yet they've got the best record in baseball. And I'm terrified of the Dodgers, and if the Dodgers win the NL West, I will be devastated. The success of the San Francisco Giants is an idol in my life that I have to confess to God daily. What are, what are things that bring you great happiness, but if they were taken away, they would be utterly devastating? Can you think of anything like that? How about this? What do you find yourself daydreaming about or spending extra time on than is necessary? Here's a tough one. What causes you great anger or frustration if it doesn't go your way? that may reveal an idol in our life. What might you be willing to ignore Scripture's teaching on may be indicative of an idol in our lives. Like the man on the roof during the flood, we can easily use religious language to hide behind our self-sufficient ideals. But friends, may we see God's restoration, and may we remain in the gospel that redeems us. May we remain with the rescuer, built on that solid foundation of the good news of Jesus Christ every day. I want to invite you, um, if you don't already have this practice, this week, give it a try. When you wake up in the morning, find your Bible before you find the news. Find your Bible before you find your phone. Find your Bible before you find the newspaper. This week, give me 10 minutes 
being reminded of the gospel, being reminded of the good news of Jesus Christ, before the world starts telling you all the other good news you should put your faith in. Because that's all you will hear the rest of the day. May we remain in the gospel that redeems us. May we remain with the rescuer. God help us. We are so much like that man. We are so tempted towards self-sufficiency. We even cover it up with religious language. We are experts at inventing idols, all of us, from our mother's womb. God, help us not to turn to another gospel that is no gospel at all. Help us recognize good things, whatever they are. Whatever good things we see in the world, may they remain good things but not become ultimate things. May they remain good things, but not become the thing that gets the most of our attention, the most of our time, the most of our energy. May that be you and you alone. God, we give you thanks for the gospel, that it's not just the ABCs that we graduate out of, it's the A to Zs that we continue to remain in each and every day. Help us to remain with our rescuer and remain in the gospel that redeems us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.